so very good to see you this morning. As always, I love you and I appreciate you. Listening to Jim just a moment ago talk about some of the places that we support our mission efforts got me thinking about not only that it's always been, in a sense, a, a small world, but the internet really allows us to be able to see good things, good things that are going on all over the world. And it's wonderful to think about things that not only we're involved in and things that we're doing as a congregation, but good things that God's people are doing all over the world. It's wonderful. But at the same time, it also makes us aware of horrible things that happen all over the world, tragedies that happen all over the world, things that people do to one another and things that nature does. I was thinking just now about the earthquake in Morocco and keep seeing the death toll rise. My heart breaks, and I know yours does too, for, for disasters of every kind because we love people, don't we? We love human beings, and we recognize that all people are our neighbors, and they are the image of God. You know, we live in a world now, in a culture now, that sort of takes the idea of human rights for granted. But it hasn't always been that way. People haven't always believed in the idea of human rights. We thankfully live in a world now where we sort of take that idea for granted that all human beings have a right to be treated in a certain way, regardless of the language that they speak or the color of their skin, their ethnicity, their nationality, what they do, what they don't do, what they're capable of doing, what they're incapable of doing. If they belong to the human race, they deserve to be treated in a certain way. And we, we believe that now in our culture and we think that way, but again, that's a fairly recent idea. For the vast majority of human history. Human beings just haven't thought that way about each other. They've done all kinds of things to one another without it even really paying their conscience. Treating one another like property, like dirt, dehumanizing one another. But for the last 2,000 years, historians would say that Christianity has changed that. I would say that the Holy Spirit has begun to change that, that the Holy Spirit has breathed this into the world, this reality, this truth about what human beings are. And people have resisted the Holy Spirit. People have resisted that truth. They've fought against that truth, and they've continued to treat one another in dehumanizing ways. But hopefully we recognize that this idea that human beings deserve to be treated well, that this idea comes from God. This idea is not a human idea. This is an idea that comes from God, that humans are the image of God. And because all humans are the image of God, and that's something that we are, not something that we do. Regardless of what you do, regardless of what you are capable of doing or incapable of doing, if you are human, then you are the image of God. And because all humans are the image of God, their right to be treated with dignity and fairness cannot be denied without consequence. This is what we find from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, that if you deny your neighbor 
their right to be treated with dignity and fairness, the way that the prophets talked about fairness was talking about deceitful scales, cheating one another, treating one another in a way that you wouldn't want to be treated, in a way that's not fair. And if you deny your neighbor their right to be treated with dignity and fairness, there will be consequences. God will hold you accountable for not treating your neighbor as the image of God that they are. Your neighbor is the image of God, and if you don't treat them that way, God will hold you accountable. The very first time that a human being murdered another human being, Cain murdered his brother Abel, and God said that your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. I gotta deal with this. There has to be consequences. Why? Because Abel was the image of God. Even after, even after the fall, even after the flood, God would say, if humans kill humans and deny their neighbor dignity and respect and life, they will be held accountable. Why? Because humans are the image of God. So when you see another human being, another human being that shares your language or your ethnicity or doesn't share your language or ethnicity or nationality, a neighbor that looks like you or a neighbor that doesn't look like you, recognize that person is the image of God. And if we turn a blind eye to them being mistreated, there will be consequences. God will hold us accountable. And it's really easy, it's really easy for those who have power, for those who have power to demand their own rights, right? For those who have power throughout human history, if someone has power, has money, has soldiers, has whatever, they can demand their own rights. You can't treat me like that. I can, I can stick up for myself. I can watch out for myself. I can defend myself. But there are some people who don't have power. Human beings, our neighbors, the images of God who do not have the power to protect their own rights. And the Bible lists categories of those kinds of people. Usually it's widows, widows who don't have someone to stand up for their rights and defend their rights, orphans, someone who doesn't have someone to stand in for them and step up for them, foreigners, people who come from another country, and the poor. And those four categories of people historically have been those who cannot, cannot demand what they should have because they're the image of God, and so oftentimes they have been trampled on. They have been denied their right to be treated with dignity and fairness as the image of God. They've been denied that right and they've been treated like something less than human. They've been dehumanized and their, their rights have been denied to them. This has happened throughout human history. And it's been really easy for those who have power or those who have wealth to just get really comfortable and just think about, well, I'm doing okay. I'm fine. I'm good. Nobody's taken my stuff away from me. I have everything that I need. I'm being treated with dignity and respect. I have all the things that I need or want or require, and I'm comfortable. 
and sort of turn a blind eye to the fact that, oh, but wait, not everybody is being treated that way. Some people's rights are being denied to them. And so throughout human history, even in Israel, even amongst God's people, the rich people, the wealthy people, the comfortable people have gotten comfortable and have turned a blind eye to what was going on around them. And God had to send them a wake-up call and say, wake up. This is not okay. Whether you are actively participating or you are just passively turning a blind eye to the fact that your neighbors are being denied what is due them because they are my image. If you are participating in it, either actively or passively, there will be consequences. Wake up before it's too late. And this is what the book of Amos is all about. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Amos. Now, Amos was God's messenger of a wake-up call, but he was sort of an unlikely messenger. Listen to what Amos says about himself. This is from chapter 7, verse 14. He says, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, go, prophesy to my people Israel. So Amos is a farmer, and he was just hanging out, doing his job. He was farming, and God plucked him up and said, okay, I got a job for you. I need you to go to Israel, and I need you to tell them that they need to wake up. And I love the brilliance of the book of Amos, because Amos begins, begins by talking about the judgment that God is going to bring on all of Israel's enemies. Because that's something everybody likes to talk about, isn't it? God, tell me how mad you are at all the people I'm mad at. God, tell me how mad you are at all the people that I don't like very much. So the first thing Amos did was pronounce God's judgment on Israel's enemies. So he begins to point his finger at all the people around Israel and say, they're all guilty of injustice of treating their neighbor in a way that denies them the dignity and fairness that they deserve. And they're all guilty of this. He talks first about the Syrians and their, their violence against Gilead. So he says the, the Syrians, they're guilty, and there will be consequences for their violence against Gilead. Number two, the Philistines, for their slave trade with the Edomites. He says the way that they're stealing human beings and trading them. There'll be consequences for it. The way that they're trading with the Edomites. Number three, the Phoenicians for their slave trade with the Edomites. Number four, the Edomites for their warfare against their brothers. For their violence. Next one, the Ammonites for their brutal violence against pregnant women. And finally, the Moabites for their desecration of the body of the king of Edom. Isn't it interesting that regardless of who their violence was against, regardless of who they were participating with or against, it was all against the images of God. All of these people, whether they're Edomites or Syrians or Philistines or Phoenicians or Ammonites or Moabites, they are all the image of God. They have a responsibility to treat their fellow images of God with dignity and kindness 
and respect. And the fact that they didn't, and that they did violence to one another, God says there are going to be consequences. Now, what do you think Israel is thinking as Amos is saying all of this? Big amen, right? Amen, right. Amos, come on, preach now. Come on, this is exactly right. This is right. Amen. All of these people, they're wrong, and they deserve to be punished. There need to be consequences against the Syrians and the Philistines and the Phoenicians and the Edomites and the Ammonites and the Moabites. They're all guilty of injustice. They're, they're all guilty of violence. They're guilty of slavery. They're guilty of all of these things. And God needs to punish them for all of these things. They're saying, bring on the day of the Lord. Bring on the day of the Lord. Bring on God's justice. Bring on God's righteousness. God, come on, bring on your justice. Do what you've promised to do. Before we go any further, just kind of stop and ask yourself, when you think about injustice, when you think about the fact that it's wrong to deny what your fellow images of God deserve, who do you think about? Because chances are there's someone that you think about, isn't there? An enemy, an opponent that you think about and you say, yes, that's right, they're wrong. They're wrong for denying justice to these people. They're wrong for mistreating those people. They're wrong for the way that they have inflicted violence on others. And you think God's, God's right to be angry with them. God's right to bring his justice on them. Bring on the day of the Lord all of these unjust people. Chances are you think about someone, maybe, maybe it's a historical injustice. Maybe it's a present injustice. Maybe it's a national injustice. Maybe it's an international injustice. But chances are you can think about the fact that your fellow images of God have been mistreated and you say it is right for God to be angry about that. And Amos would say, amen. Amen, you're right. It is right for God to be angry about that. And he is angry about that. And so Amos begins by saying, yes, you're right. God is angry with all of these nations around you. But they're not the only ones he's angry at. Look at Amos chapter 5 and verse 18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It's darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. It's not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it. You hear what Amos is saying? He's saying, yeah, yeah you're right that all of these other nations have committed injustice. But they're not the only ones. So have you. And when you say, come on, God, bring on the justice. Let, let your justice rain down. I'm glad you're angry with all of these unjust people, these unrighteous people. You don't realize that you're actually pointing a finger at yourself as well. He says, why do you desire the day of the Lord? Why do you think the day of the Lord is going to be good for you? You think the day of the Lord is going to be light for you? It's actually going to be darkness for you. He says it's like running away from a lion and a bear gets you. You, you think the problem is all them. And actually, you're just as much the problem. 
That hurts, doesn't it? It hurts, doesn't it? Because again, if we're honest, we, we think about our opponents, maybe political opponents, maybe international opponents, and we think all of those people, they're the bad guys. We are the good guys. I'm the good guy. I'm the good guy. I'm the cowboy in the white hat. I, I'm the one that, that's righteous. I'm on the side of goodness. I'm doing what is just. I'm doing what is fair. And God looks at Israel and says, you are just as guilty as they are. Don't, don't be thinking that the day of the Lord is good news for you any more than it's good news for them. Because you're all guilty. You're right, the Syrians are guilty. You're right, the Phoenicians are guilty. You're right, the Philistines are guilty. You're right, they're all guilty. You're right that they've, they have inflicted injustice on others. And so have you and if we're honest hopefully this can be a wake-up call for all of us as well because it's really easy to think I'm the good guy and they whoever they are they're the bad guys I'm doing what is right and good I'm righteous like the Pharisee who walks up to the temple and says thank you God thank you God that I'm not like all those other people because I'm the good guy and I'm doing the right things it's easy for us to think of ourselves as the good guy. And Israel thought of themselves as the good guys. And God says, you are just as guilty. In fact, verse 21, he says, I hate, this is God speaking, I hate, I despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look at them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. God says all of your worship, all this worship that you're offering me, it's worse than useless. It's disgusting. I hate it. Wow. That's tough, isn't it? We called the last series uncomfortable, but this series is just as uncomfortable, isn't it? God says, your worship, if it's not accompanied by good works of righteousness and justice, it is not only useless worship, it is disgusting, despicable worship. The fact that you are worshiping me and praying to me and singing songs to me and offering up sacrifices to me, but you're turning a blind eye to what's going on with your neighbor disgusts me. And I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear your prayers anymore. I don't want to hear your songs anymore. I don't want to see your assemblies anymore. I'm tired of it all. If you're not going to accompany your worship with good works, just forget it. It's worse than useless. He says this, verse 24, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Two important Hebrew words here. Number one, justice. The word we translate justice is mishpat, mishpat, which is, which is making a, a verdict, giving a verdict against wrongdoing, but in favor of those who have been wronged. So he says, Unless you let justice, a right verdict, come down against wrongdoers and in favor of and in protection of those who have been wronged, then your worship is worse than useless. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness. That other Hebrew word is tzedakah. And tzedakah is about 
is about doing what is right and being right with God and treating your neighbor right, doing what is right. And Amos is comparing it to a stream. And think about what what happens both in a literal sense but also in a figurative sense with justice and righteousness and with water that flows down. What, What do we all tend to do? When the water comes to our place of residence, we we try to gather it all up for ourselves, don't we? We try to stop up the stream and say, I've got to stop the stream right here because otherwise I might not have enough. And we're worried about whether or not we're going to have enough. So we stop the stream right where we live so that we can have enough. And God says, well, what about all those people downstream of you? Let the justice and the righteousness flow downstream. Let it keep flowing downstream. Take what you need, yes, absolutely, but let it flow downstream to everyone else. But that's what we tend to do, isn't it? All of us. We take what we think we deserve. We protect what we think we have a right to. We're worried about ourselves. We we watch out for ourselves. We're protecting ourselves. And then there's a little trickle that goes down to the next person. And then they try to hoard up what they think belongs to them and maybe a little trickle down to the next person. And God says, your worship, your prayers, and your songs, if it's not accompanied by righteousness and justice, it's worse than useless. And you're pointing a finger at all the people around you, but you're just as guilty of not letting justice and righteousness flow down to everyone else. Chapter 6 and verse 4, Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. He goes to a rich and comfortable people, and he says, you're very comfortable, and you're very religious, and you're saying your prayers, and you're singing your songs, and you're, you're having your solemn assemblies, and you're having your parties, and you're stretching yourself out on your couches, and you're relaxing, and you're partying, and everything seems great to you, and your heart is not breaking for the condition of your neighbors. Your neighbors are suffering, and you don't care. And because you don't care, you will be the first to be taken off into exile. But this is me, isn't it? This is Wes. This is me. We can't look at Amos and say, yeah, I know some people like that. This is me. We are all guilty of unrighteousness. We are all guilty of injustice. I mean, look at what humanity tends to do. The people that are oppressed and are the victims of injustice, when they turn around and are no longer oppressed, oftentimes throughout history, they've turned around and become oppressive ones. Israel did that. 
Israel was freed from slavery and God told them, always remember that you were slaves. Always remember that you were slaves and remember how your people were treated so that you don't treat other people like that. And they did. And so did I. And so did you. We are all unrighteous. There is injustice in all of us. And Amos would just be a book of warning and a book of woe, but thankfully God always gives good news to his people, doesn't he? There is good news, good news for the oppressed and good news for the oppressor, good news for the, the one who's been harmed and the good news for the guilty. Here's what Amos says in chapter 9, verse 11. In that day, that day that's coming, God says, I will raise up the booth of David, that is David's family tent that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. The Septuagint, the Greek translation says, all the nations who are called by my name may seek the Lord. Do you hear what God is saying through Amos? He's saying it won't always be this way. Oh, you're going to be punished. There's going to be consequences for your injustice. But God is going to rebuild David's family tent. Who's he talking about there? Jesus, the descendant of David. He is going to rebuild David's family. And through David's family, he is going to bring justice to the world. And he's going to gather together a multi-ethnic family. All the nations of the world, he's going to gather together into one family. And he is going to bring justice. He is going to bring justice. That's the only hope we have. The only hope we have is for him to bring justice. An elephant or a donkey isn't going to bring justice. But the lamb is going to bring justice. Verse 13, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. In other words, you won't even get done harvesting before it's time to plant again. That's how much fruit you're going to have to harvest. The mountain shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. Not only will justice and righteousness flow to all the people, the mountains are going to drip with wine. That's how good it's going to be. That's what Jesus is going to do. That's what the Messiah is going to do. He is going to set everything right. He is going to bring justice and mercy and forgiveness and grace and hope. Not only for those who have been harmed, but for those who have done the harming, he's going to bring grace and mercy and justice for everyone and there will be more than enough to go around. Verse 14, God says, I will restore. I will restore. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I give them, says the Lord your God. I will do this. I will do this. Human beings carnal human beings, sinful human beings like me, like you, 
are unjust. And all we do is perpetuate injustice. But God says, I will rebuild David's family. And through him, I will bring justice. I will set everything right and everyone will have everything that they need. Now, that's what is true ultimately. That's what's going to happen in the resurrection. That's what's going to happen for eternity. But it's already begun right now in us. In us. Right now, in us, as we follow Jesus. The Messiah is the only one who can set things right. So we could put it this way. Jesus is the ever-flowing stream of righteousness. He is the ever-flowing stream of righteousness, or he's the source of the ever-flowing stream of righteousness. He's the one to bring righteousness to the world, to set everything right through his righteousness. Because he does what is just. He does what is fair. He does what is right. Right with God and right for everyone else. And because of his faithfulness, because of his justice, because of his righteousness, he sets everything right. And he sets you right with God. You want to be right with God? You can't do it on your own. You can't do it by your good works. Yes, you should have been doing good works all along. Yes, you should be doing good works right now. But it doesn't matter how many good works you do, you're only going to perpetuate injustice and unrighteousness. You're broken without Jesus. But he can set you right and give you his Holy Spirit. He can forgive you of your sins, cleanse you, purify you, and give you the Holy Spirit, and then teach you how to do what is right, what is just, what is fair. He can teach you how to actually treat your neighbor with justice. Not so that we just sit around and wait for the resurrection and say, well, it's all broken now anyway, and all we can do is wait for him to come back. That's not all we can do. Yes, we, we recognize that the world is broken, and yes, we recognize that only Jesus can set things right, but we begin right now in doing good works, in doing works of righteousness and justice in his name because of what he's done and following in his footsteps. Recognizing that he is, he is, the lamb is, the ever-flowing stream of righteousness. We're guilty. And the more we point our fingers at other people, the more hopefully we recognize we have a big log in our own eye that needs to be taken out. We need forgiveness and mercy and grace. And we need to be taught by Jesus how to do what is just and right and fair and good. We need him to teach us how to do good works. We initially surrender to that at baptism. We surrender ourselves to him and we ask for his mercy and his forgiveness. We ask for his righteousness to set us right with God. But then every day, hopefully, we take up our cross and we follow Jesus and we say, teach me again. Teach me again, Lord, how to do what is right. Teach me again how to do what is just. And maybe there's somebody here this morning and you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus in baptism or you need to come back home or you need prayers or you need encouragement. We are here for you. Our shepherds would love to meet with you in the prayer room or you can come forward. As together we stand, sing this song.